everyone, and thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. Before we start, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Please visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updated info on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. My name is Deanna Zanatos, and I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Norton Children's Hospital, University of Louisville. I'm also a member of the PCICS Connections Committee. Today, I have the opportunity to interview Dr. Dory Fontaine, Dean and Professor of Nursing at the University of Virginia School of Nursing. She presented her work on physician and nursing wellness and creating healthy work environments at the PCICS meeting in Miami this past December. Thank you so much, Dory, for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. So you have published extensively on creating and implementing a healthy work environment for nursing faculty and staff in academic medicine. Tell me what initially piqued your interest in this work. Well, you know, I've been an ICU nurse for many, many years um, before I went into academic um, nursing. And um, I was really appalled at the level of dissatisfaction and how we were preparing nurses and then they would leave after two years because of the work environment. So when I was president of the American Association of Critical Care Nurses about 15 years ago, we developed standards for a healthy work environment, which really was a wonderful solution to attacking the problem head on. What can we do to make it um, a safe, wonderful place where people, you know, find joy in work and want to stay? Absolutely. And tell me, what are some of the factors that you found in your research that contribute to an unhealthy work environment? Well, probably the biggest one is uh, communication, and right behind that would be staffing, and they really go hand in hand. Some of the bad behaviors we see in communication, we're calling it bullying these days, incivility. Um, It's all over the literature how that has really increased. I think uh, the electronic health record, having um, more time with computers than the patients and families that we love, has really made it tough. Um, Physicians are feeling pressured as well with reimbursement and time um, and training, and so sometimes uh, they lash out. And uh, nurses also have a history of bullying um, laterally with each other at times, as sad as that is to hear. And sometimes the young ones are rude to the older nurses. We call them seasoned. Um, But it goes in the reverse as well. So there's just such opportunities to really focus on what we could do better. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the the research and the concepts that that you've done around creating a healthy work environment Mm -hmm. and a culture of psychological safety and really bringing an awareness to that. Sure. Well, because I'm a dean of nursing now, I've been in education um, at really great places. I have noticed that we can't just throw docs and nurses into the sandbox together in the ICU. We really have to start training them together. And so because I've been a leader in nursing education, um, 10 years at University of Virginia, I started this Compassionate Care Initiative, which I have been talking about and raising funds for. And it really is a way to alleviate human suffering by focusing on creating resilient um, physicians, nurses, and other allied health professionals, and creating 
um, compassionate organizations. And so to the extent we have trained our students with all sorts of resilient techniques, um, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, tai chi. Um, I've built classrooms and resilience rooms for people. We have everything is free five days a week. I raise funds for it. Because we're right next to the medical school and the hospital, the medical students come over too, and we train our students together. Um, I believe that that's the antidote. It's really almost too late to start when people are in the intensive care unit in cardiac pediatrics, as you are, and um, it's really too late then when they're just about burned out. So we have to start, we're starting um, upstream. And I imagine a key component of that is uh, teaching people how to recognize these mm -hmm. si early signs of sure. clinician burnout. Right. And I think if we teach them how to take care of themselves, like we wrote a paper three years ago called Prioritizing Clinician Well-Being. It is not selfish to put yourself on the list of the to-dos. Um, and what we're trying to emphasize is how to help people notice, notice themselves, their bodies, um, notice when they're getting hyper, um, and really kind of pause. Um, and I tell stories about noticing um, because people miss things all the time. And when you're rushing around to get things done, um, and certainly uh, pediatric cardiology is intense, uh, but if you don't slow down, kind of take a deep breath um, and look at people and thank them and be kind. I know it sounds soft, but these are actually the heart skills, how we work with each other. And then pause. And I. I tell stories about um, how we established something called the pause at the University of Virginia. Um, over nine years ago, it was a uh, emergency department nurse who went through our programs, and uh, we have ambassadors now throughout the hospital, faculty and staff. I have clinical ambassadors on 26 inpatient units. And what he did, um, being sensitive to the suffering of his ER colleagues, was develop a 45-second pause which is when a patient dies, you know, a rough code, you didn't expect it, um, instead of just ripping off your gloves and going out into the hallway in the ER, and what's in the hallway in everybody's ER? More patients, no time to shake it off. So that 45 seconds, you stop the action, the docs, the nurses, you know, chaplains, social workers, sometimes the family stands around the bedside and it could be a seven-year-old girl hit by a car, you know, really sudden. And everybody in silence acknowledges that life. This was a human being, someone's child, someone's loved one. And for 45 seconds, honors the patient and then honors the good work of that team. It only takes 45 seconds. So noticing, pausing, and it's caught on. It's in four continents. Jonathan Bartels goes all over the country. It's in over 100 hospitals. Cleveland Clinic is the latest. So I think we started something by focusing on clinician well-being that has really caught on. Wow, that is such an amazing concept. I think being in pediatric cardiac critical care, it's a very intense environment. You have yeah. children, which ups yeah. the ante on everyone's emotions a little bit as well. And I was speaking with some residents the other day because there really is no other environment where 
I might be um, next door telling a family that their child isn't going to survive. And then mm -hmm. I walk to the next bed and things are going really well today. And we're going to go ahead and take out the breathing tube. Yeah. And we're expected to mm -hmm. manage all of those emotions sort of seamlessly. I finished my fellowship training in 2010. So in even in the last nine years, I think there has been mm -hmm. a new and certainly late coming focus on the idea mm -hmm. that that's not a normal human response. Right. And so I think this concept of, of doing a 45 mm -hmm. second pause is really wonderful. Yeah, so that's really what we're teaching with our Compassionate Care Initiative. We are really helping people to what we say is arrive, breathe, and connect and be ready because we are on stage all the time. Everybody's watching us and um, it really is important to be your very best self and to help our students. So we start with the 18-year-olds. You know, I'm graduating over 800 students. We graduate undergrad nurses and then we have a huge hundreds of nurse practitioners who are very much working in pediatric settings, as you know, in ICU. And um, they have a lot of burnout too. And there's some power gradients there, working with surgeons and intensivists, and, um, and everybody is stressed. So we have to help people be the best selves. But then we also have to push organizations. You know, they can't just have plaques on the wall. You know, we're a compassionate institution. They really have to do things that are action-oriented and not just these slogans, you know, we care, which is about staffing, funding, um, having resources for well-being that are, that are more than just, you know, um, you know, glossing over it. Yeah, and I think also um, when, when you mention staffing, it, it, it definitely resonates with me because it's something we talk about a lot in the ICU. And, um, when sometimes we have really sick patients, there may be mm -hmm. a two-to-one, yeah. um, but mm -hmm. then there may also be, you know, multiple patients that need that, and so the resources just aren't there. Right. And right. I think giving both um, nurses and physicians uh, the knowledge and the permission to say, I don't mm -hmm. feel comfortable with this situation. Right. And I think for such a long mm -hmm. time in medicine, we've been expected mm -hmm. to... Um, be tough, be strong, just deal with whatever yeah, is, right. is thrown our way. And mm -hmm. so I think also creating that culture where mm -hmm. it's okay to say that you don't feel good about this situation. Right. You know, speaking up, I think, is the most important thing that a healthy work environment can provide, kind of safety, psychological safety for people to say, you know, this doesn't seem right. This is why we've always advocated in AACN critical care to have the nursing director and the medical director be on equal footing and have everyone respect their leadership and so that they can really notice and maybe pause before um, abuse, you know, crude abusive behaviors happen in units. You know, it only really takes one bad apple um, in a really tight, wonderful unit um, to cause incredible stress and people feel powerless when they're really not. You know, everyone doesn't have to go with us. Do you know? And one of the most important things I do as a dean is I hire people. I hire faculty. I hire, I help to hire uh, clinicians in the hospital as well, chief nurse and others. And you've got to spend the time to bring the right people into the organization. You know, here's our values. Here's what we stand for. And then help them onboarding or whatever. 
Um, but we also have to have uh, performance um, objectives and guidelines so that when people don't meet them, for whatever reason, um, we really need to help move them along. And I know that sounds um, harsh at times, but, you know, um, it's really essential. People get burned out because of some colleagues that they're working with. And yeah. so this is important for leaders to do. And um, that's why I've been very impressed with my pediatric colleagues always, because I think they do prioritize. They do prioritize well-being for staff as well as patients. And, you know, it's an epidemic of burnout right now. Mm -hmm physicians and nurses, and pediatrics is one of the high ones. You mentioned earlier about sort of the nurse leaders and the physician leaders mm -hmm. being on equal footing, and I yeah. think that that's uh, so important, and I, I think, how do you see the sort of the backgrounds of the training pathways mm -hmm. being so different sort of between yeah. nursing and physician training mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. we can really bring those two yeah. disciplines more closely together and... Sure. Um, it does strike me that there, my, my observation has been that there, mm -hmm. because of this sort of difference, mm -hmm. the way that they manage stress and deal with things is, yeah. is different and can right. certainly contribute to the mm -hmm. unhealthy work environment. Exactly. I think this is why um, training together in a professional education, you know, the AAMC is really a big fan of that now. Um, there's funding for grants. We've had several where we're training people together, and I think it's gonna be um, much more positive. Um, we just had a HRSA grant to do that. And, you know, I'm offering five courses for um, mindfulness, flourishing, meditation, um, and the newest one is called Leadership Presence in Healthcare. You know, how do you, how do you wanna be as a leader to create this environment for others? And we had um, 10 uh, physicians, residents, and fellows, and 15 nurse managers. And it was in a phenomenal course. It was seminar readings, and they really talked about situations. You know, how could we do better? And, you know, why is this so hurtful? And at the end, they had to give a five-minute leadership value statement. And I went to the and the pre presentations, it was amazing. So the physicians learned what are the stresses that nurses have. And nurses learned, my gosh, look at these residents. They're trying to do so much. And they have two little children at home, et cetera. Um, so there was such great understanding. So that, to me, is the future. How do we get people in the room before they're out in the, as I'm calling it, the sandbox, but you know, the, these very busy ICUs? We can educate ourselves on how to communicate better interdisciplinary um, between disciplines, mm -hmm. and we can uh, enact things like the pause. But then there's all of mm -hmm. these sort of seemingly uncontrollable factors that we have to deal with, like mm -hmm. the critical illness of a small child or a family that is mm -hmm. extremely difficult mm -hmm. to, to deal with. Right. How do those... Um, what are some tips or, mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. or your thoughts about dealing yeah. with these sort of uh, seemingly unmodifiable right. stressors? Well, having uh, an environment where people can talk with each other and also get to know each other, you know? Um, you know, physicians have, you know, twins that are in a soccer game and they need to get out quicker and uh, nurses have a mother dying in another state. And so how do we get to know each other? You know, we really need to know first names. We need to know each other's lives. Um, again, it's the, you know, the soft skills are really the hard skills.
because people can come in our time to make rounds, you know, everybody hop to, instead of saying, how is everybody? You know, what's going on? Do you know a couple of um, emotional connections? You know, the medical student is there kind of panicked. Um, the resident could be getting chewed out by the attending for what he didn't call him about at 3 a.m. You know, nurses are all part of this. And, you know, just making that connection. And, you know, one of our healthy work environment standards is meaningful recognition. You know, you really matter. How do we tell our team members that they matter every day? As a dean, how do I tell my faculty that, you know, um, that you really matter? And I'm so grateful that you're here. So, um, you know, being nice, kind, being grateful. I know it sounds soft, but if you really look at the data, you know, Google spent, you know, hundreds of hours trying to figure out what makes for a great environment. At the end of the day, they found out that it was really people being nice and kind to each other. That made the most successful work teams. Now, they had to study that for, you know, hundreds of hours. <laughs> so I think those are messages for our work teams in ICU settings that are really so stressful. And you can see if a nurse manager or physician leader is toxic, turnover sky high, burnout sky high, and patient outcomes are down. So we actually know this. Yeah, and I think that it's, it's these little things that seemingly they're free. It yeah. doesn't cost anything Seemingly. to enact mm -hmm. any of this. Mm -hmm. And um, when you, as the team leader, for example, extend yeah. this, uh, these sorts of kindnesses, mm -hmm. you actually, I think, get a lot in return for that, even though yes. it seems like you're right. the one who's doing the giving initially. I know. Um, really, that it's, it's a two-way street. Sure. It, it definitely benefits mm -hmm. your own uh, mm -hmm. psyche as well. To Absolutely. Be able to, to and you know, the things. families are watching. Absolutely. And they, the trust level that they will have and the confidence that their child is going to get the very best care will greatly improve when they see an environment where people feel free to speak up. Yes, absolutely. It's all connected. So what if a clinician already feels burnout? Do you feel like this is something that can be reversed? Yeah. What are the steps that yeah. someone could take? You know, the, one of the biggest things is uh, when they're already burned out, um, to have uh, some loving support at that unit level, whether it's the nurse manager, whether it's a colleague, um, to really say, you know, let's look at the schedule. Is there something we can do? You know, it might be some family situation at home. You know, like I mentioned, people get sick. You know, nurses are often caring for young children and aging parents at the same time. And so there might be something that can be done there. Most um, big settings have, you know, um, assistance, whether it's through social workers, HR, um, and, you know, those can be used, but, you know, giving some time off, um, if at all possible, um, would be good. And then talking about it, do you know? Um, helping the person not feel shamed and blamed. Um, you know, having someone who can say, you know, I noticed that you, you just don't seem um, as interested in some of the patients as you used to. You know, these are all symptoms of something else. Um, so well-being for nurses and, and our physician colleagues too. You know what, you know, it costs a million dollars to replace a physician. It costs, you know, a little less, of course, to replace nurses, but if four nurses leave a unit, that's a million dollars right there. Yeah. 
So it's really, uh, it's a very important um, thing to prevent burnout and then when you see it, to intervene early. Absolutely. And how do you feel like improving wellness can improve patient outcomes? There's direct, you know, there's lots of data. This is in the nursing literature, it's in the physician literature about outcomes. Um, a study in University of Pennsylvania nursing showed infections were higher on a unit with high levels of burnout. Um, so it's really not a surprise. And, you know, hospitals are so obsessed with um, revenue, um, you'd, see, you'd think that they would invest um, in more programs for preventing burnout um, and looking and listening to their, um, their health care providers across all levels. I believe it's true with pharmacists, respiratory therapists as well. What would you say would be your single biggest piece of mm -hmm. practical advice for mm -hmm. clinicians who are out there today that they could enact to make a more healthy work environment yeah. in, in their institutions? Sure. Well, I would encourage people to take a look at the American Association of Critical Care Standards for a Healthy Work Environment. They've been out for 15 years. This is our fourth large data um, article that's going to come out about the health of the environment. There's some good and some bad still. Um, and then to just consider some contemplative, compassionate practices for yourself, you know, whether it's meditation, yoga, tai chi, relaxation, going to the gym. We found, we've done a study and found that our nurses at the University of Virginia use exercise, Prayer, a lot of spirituality, especially probably caring for children. So we encourage people to, to flourish, be their best selves, look at joy in work, and then do that, kind of arrive, breathe, connect, pause, and then consider kind action. Because it's often what you don't say that's the most important. Correct. Most Absolutely. important thing. Yeah. And if... Um, institutions were interested in mm -hmm. um, bringing the pause to their yeah, absolutely. How can we um, yeah. reach out? Who, who, yeah. who would you reach out to? Um, Jonathan Bartels developed it. It's um, all on our website, um, cci.virginia.edu. That's our Compassionate Care website. It's we're in our tenth. We're celebrating our tenth anniversary in March, and Jonathan is really. Um, our featured person for the metaphor of pausing in life and especially pausing at the end of life. Um, and physicians have caught on with this in a big way too because they really get it. Some of them have not always been thanked for the care they give a very sick child. And this is a way for the team as well as families to spend a short amount of time thanking them. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today, Dory. You're welcome. Um, we enjoyed having you on our podcast. To all our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. Please don't forget to look for other episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or subscribe to get all the latest episodes as they're released. Once again, find out more at our website, PCICS.org. The song I Don't Know by Grace was used under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license.